0: Welcome to the ABCs of Matrescence. We are two mamas, Emma and Mackenzie. We both have toddler-aged boys, and here on our podcast, we chat all things real motherhood from A to Z and everything in between. Matrescence is the process of becoming a mother, and we chat about various aspects of that on each and every episode. So thank you guys so much for joining me today, as you will hear crickets, crickets, Mackenzie is not with me I know don't cry I'm sad without her too we miss you but I have a awesome interview guest today and uh, yeah it just works a little easier sometimes tag teaming these and doing them one on one because well me Mackenzie Mackenzie and I let me use better English uh, talk over each other far too much as is so a third guest sometimes it can be a hodgepodge. But we have an awesome interview today. We are honored to have Jess Dalladay from the uh, Healthy Sweet Potato is her community and blog and Instagram. And she is also the founder and CEO of Pilates On Demand Canada. Not to mention mama to a 18-month-old daughter named Rachel. So I, I first found Jess in our HA group where I also met Mackenzie hypothalamic amenorrhea. I'm only going to say that once before <laughs> I screw it up. Um, I'm good at that one. And yeah. I found her there and I really grew an appreciation for the way she publicly shared her HA story. And we'll obviously get into all that as a fitness professional. As I mentioned, she um, is the founder and CEO of Pilates on Demand. So in the fitness space, which is exciting to talk to some other ladies in the fitness space. Um, But yeah, so today we are going to talk all about her HA story, entrepreneurship, motherhood, and body image. So kind of the topics for today. So before we jump in, I thought it'd be fun just to do a little get to know Jess. And since we both have toddlers that are within a month of each other, actually, yeah, we're going to chat a little bit about what's going on in our baby's life. So what is your little one getting into these days? What's life like in your mama of a toddler world? Oh, my God, everything right now.
1: (laughs) She (laughs) is obsessed with holding my hand and walking ev- everywhere. She can walk Aww. by herself, but she's so
0: cute though.
1: Yeah, she just wants me specifically to bring her places or to show me things, I'm not sure. And then her daddy decided to show her to, how to jump up and down the stairs. So now we have oh, to do fun. that all the time too, so. Oh, oh goodness. Yeah, it might be a bit dangerous, but yeah. Um, Try to be safe, but safe as you can, jumping oh. up and down the stairs.
0: <laughs> Being a toddler in general is dangerous. We've yeah. already had two close calls of falls this week that have oh resulted in a slightly bloody lip and a good bump on the head, and that did not include jumping on stairs. So, yeah. you know, we um, do they, the best we can. They are so good at hurting themselves. It's oh my kind my of gosh. scary. <laughs> I wish you could put him in a bubble some days, because it even just seems like he's a little clumsy too. I feel like, and maybe who knows? I've been around some other kids his age, and I'm like. Mm. You feel like you're on the clumsier side of life or he's just on the distracted side of life where you know he's looking at 10 other things and not walking where he's going but yeah yeah, he's he's just really good at at hurting himself in various manners so i'm glad i'm i'm not alone in that (laughs) um so what's been the bigger challenge for you currently i know toddlers are notorious for some um frustrating behaviors at Mm times so mealtime bedtime or diaper and outfit changes which which is driving mom bonkers at the moment
1: Mm. i would say right now the hardest part is the outfit changes only because she won't sit still right now so getting her diaper on um, it's just a whole new level of doing the diaper standing up on the change table. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Talk about dangerous. <laughs> um yes, Yay. we have to stand on the change table now to get dressed. So You have
0: a daredevil.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the, I would say like she's still she's still a pretty good eater so the meal times are messy but toler- tolerable. Um although my husband might argue with me on that one, but I definitely say getting her <laughs> dressed is just always a struggle. <laughs>
0: I've been so lucky. Owen is in, and I say a phase because I I mean this week only, like this could change tomorrow. But he's been doing this thing where if I ask him to go lay down to change his diaper, he just does. He goes and sits and is (laughs) like, and I mean, that's not my child. Mike. My child is not chill. There's many words I would describe Owen, but chill is not one of them. And all of a sudden, he's just like little sweet and like, do to do. Okay, no problem. And mealtime, great. Kid loves to eat, thankfully, awesome. today. Again, not a problem. Bedtime, we just screamed ourselves to sleep a little bit. So I can tell you that is our struggle. We're having some separation, anxiety. I don't know. Yeah. But it's sad. Oh, I is she think a pretty good sleeper.
1: Yeah, she is, luckily. Um, yeah, we we're lucky in that sense. We did sleep training pretty early and stuck to it. And my husband was very strict on the sleep training. So it did pay off, although it was very hard at the
0: beginning. <laughs> we, we did some too. We did it a little bit later um, than we did at the beginning. And I don't know, you know, if we have a second kid, then I, I might reevaluate the exact timing we did it. But I will say It was hard, like really hard. I think we all cried some, but it's been worth it in the sense that, you know, the better he sleeps, the happier he is too. So
1: yeah, it is worth it for them. Like, I definitely am 100% behind sleep training. But I know for some people, it's just not like a priority for them or they're I don't know. Some people just have different parenting styles, so.
0: Well, exactly. And it, we speak on the podcast all the time. Me and Mackenzie do things quite different. So mm-hmm. to each his own. We know yes. everybody's out there doing their best. And it also just depends on you and it depends on your kid. So yeah. we're all different. Exactly. So. What's one of your favorite things about this age? Let's-
1: oh, I think I really like all the new words she's saying and I don't know. And she's really into hugs, too, right now, which Aww. is really nice. And she, because whenever we hug her, we say, oh, that's nice. So now she's starting to say,
0: oh, it's nice. <laughs> it's so that's cute. So cute. <laughs> it is interesting how it's like when the language, you know, flip gets switched. It's uh, like they pick up on everything. Yes. Owen's been like that lately, too. And it's just, it just cracks me up. All yeah. of a sudden, now when we're like, are you ready to eat? He walks around going, eat, 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 yeah. eat, eat, eat. It's <laughs> just cute little things like that. yeah. I think and it's that's fun now that they can kind of communicate with you a little bit. You know, when they're like newborns and babies, you kind of feel like you're, I mean, you are kind of talking to yourself. Um, <laughs> and now they they can give you feedback. And I mean, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But yeah, yeah it's fun. Much yeah. more interactive. Definitely. So, well, thank you again for joining us today. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, your business, and your family.
1: All right, I'll give you the Cole's Notes version. So I live in Canada, so I'm in Peterborough, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto. I actually lived in Toronto for about eight years before we, my husband and I moved here. He's from this area. Um, so I love it out here. I live in the country. Right now I'm actually looking at a forest that's in my backyard. So I am very happy with uh, where we live and just being in a smaller community is really nice. Um, and I guess my story you did hear from the introduction that I was struggling with HA. So I discovered that when I was living in Toronto, um, while I was there, I was working a lot. So we were newlyweds and I think 2015 and then we started trying in about 2016, I think for a baby. And that's when I realized that, um. Yeah, I wasn't fertile <laughs> because of a lot of it stemmed from my over-exercising, my under-eating, but also just the busy lifestyle and the mentality that I had and a lot of the stress that I placed on myself. Um, just trying to make a lot of money feel accomplished. I was a new grad as well, just, I guess, try, seeking that external validation um, and yeah, I had had a lot of stress, so three jobs, and then I was exercising multiple hours a day, and then under eating, and it was just like the perfect storm to cause the HA and ultimately the infertility on my
0: part. Um, well, and I found so much of the time it seems like women with HA, and I'm not saying all, but it does seem to be a vast majority from from our groups, were kind of that Type A personality. Yes. So I think it is the perfect storm of that you know as i said type a high strong high achieving don't know really how to relax in any way and then you add that on top of under eating and over and i mean it's almost kind of this duh i mean yeah it totally makes sense why our bodies are like nope reproduction's not necessary you know you're you're too stressed out as it is so interesting how did how did you go about being diagnosed with ha what was your kind of um story like there
1: Yeah. So I feel like it was more of a self diagnosis at the beginning than anything. Um, I had known since going cause I had been on birth control since I was probably 16 years old because I had really heavy periods and um, I think they were irregular, but I honestly don't know because I think it would had only been about two years before I was put on birth control that I actually had a period. So, after I went off birth control for maybe a year in university and didn't get a period at all um, and then Somebody told me I had PCOS, so they put me back on birth control And then I never really dove into it again until we decided we were going to try to have children and then going off of the pill I again, didn't get a period for four months and then started doing some research. And when I was researching PCOS, because that was already something that was told to me, I was looking at a lot of the symptoms and a lot of the profiles um, for PCOS. And I just, it didn't make any sense with my body type. um, And it like a lot of it, a lot of the symptoms and the signs were things that I wasn't experiencing. So I started to dive a little deeper and then came across a term that was hypothalamic amenorrhea. And when I read the description, I was like the textbook description. And I was like, I know this is what I have. Like it's obvious to me. So I reached out to my doctor and she luckily was a friend of my husband's. So, um, I got in really quickly because I know some people don't, they need to wait longer before they get tested for infertility, but I was lucky enough to get in after four months. They did some um, blood work and then they also did an ultrasound and then the blood work came back with essentially all of my hormone levels were very, very low. Um, So it was more indicative of a hypothalamic or an HA profile rather than a PCOS profile. And then I also found out that on the ultrasound that I had a septate uterus, which was like something that just really threw me a curveball and I didn't see it coming and it was a lot more emotional to handle that side of it than the hormonal side of it.
0: That's interesting. I actually found out during mine that I had a heart-shaped uterus Mm. which I mean is is kind of the septum thing and yeah yeah, they I did not end up having surgery on it but Mm. it it, I had a miscarriage along the way and they had said if I had one more miscarriage they would absolutely recommend doing the surgery to fix it so yeah that was interesting and that was emotional for me too because it just felt like one more thing yeah like it just you know just all kept piling on so yeah interesting
1: yeah absolutely and like that part of the journey just it took a it took a lot of time which in retrospect was probably for the best because it helped me heal from the HA while I was waiting on the surgeries because in Canada it takes a lot I don't know if it's the same in the states but because no um, y'all have our- a much
0: a different slower, system. Yeah. Yeah. It our takes system a lot is, longer to do so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So it would, t- it took me six months to get in to see a surgeon. And then after that, it was another six months before I could have the surgery. And then wow. I had to have a second surgery. And in oh, between each surgery, you have to heal two months. Um, so it was just a really long process. And that in itself was really challenging because I was completely out of my control and I could have, not got the surgery and that was another tough one was because I could choose to not have the surgery possibly miscarry um and then that would be heartbreaking in itself or have the surgery and then possibly risk damaging my uterus to a point where I wouldn't be fertile again and it, both of them like it was a really yeah, really hard decision a to place mm-hmm. yeah and I Ultimately because of Facebook groups, thank God for Facebook groups um, Was in a septate uterus group group and just based on everybody's experience there the There it was very low risk to have the surgery versus the risk of miscarriage because my septate was complete so it just basically it means like it separates your uterus into two kind of different Um, walls like it's like like a
0: hemispheres yeah yeah,
1: exactly and a lot of times the egg can implant on the septum itself which then doesn't get enough blood supply and eventually you miscarry and it's especially because my septum was taking up like a big part of your uterus it's not a big deal once you're pregnant and, and the pregnancy is going really well because the uterus is or i mean the septum is so minuscule compared to the baby but when your uterus is really shrunken down when you're not pregnant it ends up taking up a big portion of it because obviously our uterus is really small (laughs) um and it's kind of folded in on itself a little bit so anyways a lot of a lot of research a lot of headaches and a lot of decisions and then i'm i am glad we decided to do the surgery because when i did ultimately get pregnant it just gave me a huge sense of relief that I didn't have to, like, obviously I was still worried about miscarriage, but not to the level I think I would have been had I not gotten the surgery.
0: Absolutely. Well, and it's so hard because when you decide you're ready to get pregnant, yeah, the prospect of waiting months yeah. and months and much, and I won't mm-hmm. lie, it was a deterrent for me doing the surgery too, because when mm. I was ready, I was, you know, you yeah. start to almost get desperate. It was all I could think about and all I could focus on. And, you know, so when my doctor gave me the option, because mine was not as a complete of a, you know, septum as yours was. You know, he was kind of like, eh, I would go ahead and try. And then if you yeah. have a miscarriage, you know, then maybe I'd do it, which we did. And I always still wonder, like, was that because, you know, we yeah. didn't do the surgery. And we'll never know. But either way, I, you know, back to your story, it's it's very emotional having to sit. And as you said, be out of control. And I think also so many people with HA are control freaks. And yeah, it's pretty humbling. Mm-hmm.
1: Like hindsight is twenty twenty because when I was in it, when I was exercising a lot of in- Eating restrictively I didn't think anything was wrong and I thought I was being healthy and HA challenged those beliefs and essentially like it challenged my whole way of, of thinking and what I was telling other people um, being in the, the fitness industry and I think that's why it was so hard of a change and it's still something I have to work on all the time but um, yeah looking back now I I was crazy. Like it's so, it's so clear to me why I couldn't get pregnant before. And yeah,
0: it's, so what was the recovery process like for you? What did that look like?
1: Yeah. So it was long. Um, (laughs) it's probably still going on right now. I don't think there
0: is an end point. That's what maybe you talk about all the time is that (laughs) <laughs> this is where we are now, but it doesn't mean like, voila, we're at the end. We crossed the finish line. It's yeah. it's still there. It's still no,
1: there. it's a lifelong journey. I think anybody that suffers from any kind of eating disorder or really any any sort of disorder or illness is always recovering. Um, so I think just making sure you give yourself grace on that and remind yourself that some days will be easier than others and some things can be triggering that you might not have thought were triggering to you anymore, but they are. But um, in terms of my recovery, it started probably in the year, like right when I found out that information, I think it was January of 2017, I believe, because that was the year I started my blog, actually. And that was really, I think, a, a great... Place for me to channel my energy as I was taking a step back from eating so restrictively, and that's where I started was with the eating, um, just being a little more like more liberal with foods, trying. Like I used to be terrified of carbohydrates for some reason.
0: (laughs) so Oh, me too. Yeah. Of course, then I'm like, and I was scared of fats. And oh, no wonder I didn't have a period. Yeah. two of the three macronutrients.
1: Exactly. I was the same way. So I started slowly adding fats in and slowly starting to add more carbohydrates in. And it took a long time to just allow myself to eat, um, I guess just the way like eat naturally and eat what I was craving and not feel guilty or shameful for eating it And I mean, I still struggle with that now, but I feel like it was easier to add That part into my life whereas the exercise was something I had to take away and that's where I really struggled and like people listening who might not have gone through HA are probably thinking I'm crazy right now because like, it's so easy not to exercise.
0: <laughs> but, oh, I'm with you, though. Yeah. It was way harder yeah. for me not to. Like, sitting in that discomfort yeah. of yeah. not using exercise as, you know, this obsessive compulsive thing, it's, it was really challenging yeah. for me. So, yeah, oh, I totally yeah. feel ya.
1: And it just, like, I just didn't feel like I was in my body anymore um, because I was and starting to what were you doing
0: career-wise weight. at that point?
1: So, at that point, I was... Um, Working as an athletic therapist but I was still doing like primarily exercise work with people um, and then but I was biking to and from work every day in Toronto so it was like at least 40 minutes of biking each day mm-hmm. and then I was teaching at the University in Toronto um, and I was doing that like three times a week so that was included driving to the University and back which again was like a lot of commute time (laughs) just because the traffic is so bad and then i was teaching at a pilates studio too and i had a dog so every day we had to bring him for multiple walks per day because we were in an apartment plus taking him to the park and it was just like my life revolved around exercise like i was everything was exercise for me so That's where it was really hard to start taking that away. Um,
0: And how did that progress? How did you slowly come to terms with exercise and viewing it as, you know, maybe a potentially negative stressor as opposed to that positive outlet?
1: Yeah, it started with um, taking, I guess, just slowly decreasing the intensity of my workouts, Um, trying to do less high intensity workouts, starting to bike less to work or sometimes I would bike multiple times per day. I started trying to eliminate running, which turned out to be a really tricky task for me because like I remember one day just running and I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this, but I can't stop doing it. Like, I just couldn't stop because there was just that hormone release and that, and I was using it as a coping mechanism. Um, to deal with the stress in my life. But even though I knew it wasn't good for me, I couldn't stop doing it. So slowly and eventually I started to make those runs shorter and less frequent. Eventually I got to a point when we moved to Peterborough because we were moving as well. So that was a big bit of a stress or two. Oh, yeah. um, when we moved to Peterborough, I had gotten my surgery in that October, we moved in the September, I think. And after I got the surgery, I wasn't able to really do anything for about a week anyways. And then I started to be like, you know what? I don't need to keep exercising. Like I just started walking for maybe 20 minutes a day and I had to keep it like very low intensity. And then I was, I think I was still teaching Pilates, but I wasn't actually doing the pilates itself um and that was really all i was doing and i wasn't working nearly as much um so that was i think that was really huge and that's where i started to see the biggest improvements in my health was when i started to finally step back from exercise and i'm sure it had well it had a lot to do with removing that stress on my body but i i also think that surrendering at that point and finally Understanding what I was doing with my body and saying like it's okay not to exercise, I think that's what was a really big sh- a shifter, like a game changer for me and the recovery process. Because even though before I wasn't exercising as much, I still had a lot of the guilt or feelings like I should be exercising. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, um, totally. And, and finally unlayering that and just kind of unpacking that I think that's and just giving myself permission to to not exercise and be okay with it and that's finally what I think it like set me free like it really did like exercise was kind of a, something that held me prisoner and like I had this this like contract with another contract but <laughs> this, this yeah, really no, weird
0: totally relationship it. with it that mm-hmm.
1: wasn't really a relationship. It was, um, I don't even know how to describe it as.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you saying you were a prisoner to it is yeah. Completely correct. Yeah. I mean, you were, you know, locked up from it. Like you couldn't, you know, you just couldn't escape it no matter what. And I, I can definitely, um, yeah, understand that. And I think, as you said, it is a process from, you know, talking to other women about this is that, you know, it almost starts with you, just stopping the action but you still feel the emotional guilt Mm -hmm. and you still have the mental distress and it's still a big weight on you and you might be getting better at doing it less and I think that's kind of the transition and then over time you progress to like Okay, now I'm not feeling quite so heavy about not doing it, or I'm actually finding mm-hmm. the positives in that. Oh, funny, I have all this extra time, and you know, I'm not as grumpy because I'm not hungry all the time, and just like yes. little things that are oh make your life better. So, what were some of the things that you, you know, feel like reducing your exercise and eating with more fr- food freedom benefited your life?
1: Oh, my god, so many. Like, oh, it's. It's just crazy. Like my sex drive was probably the most noticeable one. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like I had zero sex drive before and it's obviously it stemmed a lot from not having any energy, but also no hormones. Um, But just like feeling ashamed of my body too. Like I think that was a big part of it was that I still didn't feel at peace with my body, even though when like society was telling me that this is exactly how you should look. And really that like, it was, it just wasn't healthy for me anyways. And, um, so that was probably one of the biggest ones. The energy was another big one. Like I didn't have to sleep all hours of the day either. Like I was, I would usually have naps in the afternoon a lot of the time. Not that I don't have those now, but I think it it was different. It felt different. I just felt so tired. It wasn't like a crash
0: and burn, like the body literally had to turn off to be able to function.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, just like the enjoyment I get out of foods and going to restaurants and cooking and like being in social situations again and not worrying about like how much I'm eating or how much I'm drinking unless I have to drive of course, but (laughs) like the focus of my life has changed completely. My energy has shifted into other, like actually being able to engage with other people and not worry about how I look. And that used to consume almost my every thought, what I was, how I looked, what I was eating, um, and when I was going to exercise next and it crazy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. And so at what point did you decide to start your blog and start to be more open um, on your blog and then on social media about your journey? Yeah.
1: So that started, um, I launched my blog in February of 2017 and I ended up opening up about my fertility struggles in early April of 2017. So for some reason it felt like a lot longer than that between when I launched and when I shared that openly, but I guess it was about two months later because I think I got to a point where I felt powerless. Um, Mm. I felt completely out of control. I had nothing to no coping mechanisms to like everything I used to cope before with not having control was gone. And I just knew that when you when you speak something out maybe i didn't know this before but i learned it from this (laughs) this experience (laughs) was when you speak something out and sort of face your fear or let other people in it's actually it can give you your power back in a lot of those situations and it did exactly that for me like it was so freeing to get it off my chest and just to tell people like this is what i'm going through it sucks and like I just I don't even know what the purpose of me sharing that with I think it was more so just to be open and honest but what I gained from sharing was like what I I couldn't even imagine the amount of people that caught or just reached out to me and told me that they were going through a similar thing or just infertility in general and that they had gone through it all of this is
0: such a taboo topic Mm -hmm. like you know it's so funny that going through infertility i I thought it was just me and i mean i knew i think you know i'd heard of people doing ivf but i really hadn't spoken to anybody within my circle Mm -hmm. that had struggled and when i was able to be more open about it so were other people and i don't know how many so many like friends that i worked with or coworkers that were like Actually, yeah, we struggled and we had to do Clomid or we had to do IVF or we had to do blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and It was really, you know, comforting and connecting and, you know, that that's how it should be. It shouldn't make us feel like we're alone or we're broken.
1: Yeah, and that's sort of how I felt. And I think that's how a lot of people feel when, yeah, whenever you feel isolated, <laughs> you feel yeah. t- terrible and... I don't think anyone should have to go through that, especially going through something like infertility, which like the more support you have, the easier, well, not the easier, but it does help. It definitely helped me. Um, and like just, yeah, like you said, be it just made me aware of a lot of other people that I didn't even think had problems before. And I remember seeing somebody's post on social media of an old friend and seeing pictures of her baby. And I was just so jealous and just, I remember it it just killed me. And she was one of the people that reached out to me after my blog post and she said, I had an ectopic pregnancy with my first pregnancy and ended up losing one of my tubes and didn't think I'd be able to get pregnant again and like
0: and it's stuff you would never know
1: yeah You'd exactly know. and it's just like those stories are happening all of the time and the more we can talk about them openly the i guess i always want to say easier but <laughs> fertility is not easy and it's i don't not that's not, easier, not a good word but
0: it doesn't make you feel as lo- as alone and that's yeah. so important that yeah. and it also gives yeah. you hope hearing other yes. women's stories and all that's so vital yeah
1: i think the hope stories are essential and when people don't share their stories of having a hard time and then they were successful that's it's it's kind of just depriving all of those people that need to hear them and it's kind of doing a disservice to those going through infertility and i and i know that now because i've shared my story but if you are somebody who felt inclined to share your story before, but were afraid to like, just do it. Like you're going to help so many people by sharing.
0: Absolutely. So you talk a lot about body image on your, Mm -hmm. on your blog and on your websites and you're very open about it. How did that transition happen from your HA days through pregnancy to kind of where you are now, you know, since you've, you've just changed so much.
1: Yeah. Well, I think obviously body image is something that I think we all, are still struggling with, unfortunately. Um, it's just, it's something especially, well, I think a lot of men struggle with it too. Um, women, especially because we have been praised to to look good all the time and been shown the same body for years and years as as we've been growing up and the body, the ideal body that's portrayed in the media is, something that isn't healthy for everyone. And that's really what my message is trying to get across is that I worked my ass off. Sorry if I swore there to get, no, you're fine. No worries. To, to get to that body. And like in my mind, when I was going through HA, I was not at that body type, but looking back at pictures of myself, I was, and getting to be the ideal body made, I was, in that body I was the most miserable I had ever been. And I was also in the worst health that I've ever been. So these things just don't make sense in my head. It doesn't make sense to why we're showing this one body, but really that's not healthy and it's not what's going to make you happy. And I just get, I guess it just, it frustrates me that so many young women and women my age and women older than me are still being sent the same message over and over again that if you look like this people will like you you will be successful and you will be happy when really your self-worth is probably at its lowest when you're working to look like somebody else or something that's unrealistic for you and not to say that people that do look like that aren't happy. Some people that is their natural build and that is totally fine. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that are maybe in a different body shape and that isn't healthy for them to get to this low weight or to have these chiseled abs because it's it's a lot it's a lot of mental health um work that has to I don't know why. you know
0: about it. Yeah, That's not what I was going to done. No, yeah. Mackenzie and I were just talking about this. We we recorded an upcoming episode, kind of delving into our own um, body image journeys, and we we joke that we always our husbands um, kindly remind us when we go through mm-hmm. those moments because we still do. Of ugh, I, you know, I don't feel good today. I feel bloated. Yes. I don't, yeah. You know, I look in the mirror. I'm not happy with what I see, you know, and or we'll be flipping back through old pictures. I always feel like that's triggering. Mm-hmm. Flipping back through, you know, pictures from five years ago when, yes, I was in a thinner body mm-hmm. and my husband points out you weren't happy. In fact, mm-hmm. you were pretty unhappy and in fact you still felt bad about your body even when yeah. you were at your quote unquote ideal and, right. you know, and you were cold all the time and you were grumpy yes, all the time cold. and your hair was trying to fall out, oh. you know, and it was stuff like that. And so it is a really important reminder that uh, your body shape itself is not going to make you happy. In fact, as I said, most people I know that had to force themselves to get in that position that's really unnatural are very unhappy and very insecure. Yes, yeah,
1: that's exactly it. I also forgot how
0: cold I used to be all the time. Yes, so it's cold, so weird. It's crazy. It I'm
1: never cold anymore.
0: <laughs> My husband laughs. He's like, "What has happened to you? Because now I'm I'm still nursing and I'm always yes. hot still, yes. and I'm turning down the temperature at the house. And he's like, "I'm cold. What? How did this switch somewhere along yeah. the way? So." It's funny, but that's amazing just to show, you know, how your body regulates itself as it should when, you know, you're giving it what it needs to function. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that just normalizing different bodies is just what needs more of that needs to happen and more people need to see it. And, um, like I love seeing different bodies on my feed and in social media and I think, that yeah, you have to be the change you wanna see in the world. So the more I can help people see that message and make sure that they're they know they're worthy no matter what size they are, then I feel like I can sleep better at night.
0: <laughs> well I would say um we'll definitely link to your social media because you do a beautiful job of doing that and it really is it's a valuable you are somebody that every time you know i'm scrolling and you come across i stop and see what you have to say and i appreciate the photos and the honesty that you post you know you don't post anything that's overly posed or flexed or photo shoot and it's just what we all really look like and and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it really does allow, I feel like the individual to take a breath and say, okay, I'm normal. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me because yes. I think you look great. So yeah, it's really yeah. important and valuable to put out there. So thank you for that. Well, um, you. So let's chat about entrepreneurship. How was Pilates On Demand born? What was the, the creative force behind it? Um,
1: so I think it really stemmed, well, it did it sort of branched off from my blog because it was doing well at the time. Not that it's not doing well now. I just haven't been putting much energy into it, but, um, and, and it also had to do with Pilates. So Pilates was something that I kept with me throughout my AHA journey because the exercise is lower impact. And it was something that I could still, that I could do still feel strong in my body, but it wasn't a weight loss tool and I wasn't using it to, necessarily shape my body or change my body it was really just a tool that helped me feel good in my body and move it in wit- in, in ways when i couldn't do what i had normally done with my um, weight training or running or other exercises like that so it was something that i felt good about doing still throughout my recovery and then once i moved to peterborough i've I um, realized that there was like a, there's obviously a huge market for Pilates anywhere, but especially when you're um, new, like newly postpartum or if you're in pregnancy, it's better to do exercises that are just a little bit more gentle to ease your body back into your regular fitness r- routine. So there's a lot of new moms around this area, a lot of people my age and they just weren't able to get to my classes because they have children and it's it's really challenging well you know it's challenging to go oh, anywhere with your me, kids. I, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said make, I'd
0: get back to the gym at six weeks and it took months and months for me to yeah. even have the time or the space to do so so totally.
1: Yeah exactly so I wanted to really reach those people because they're my people and I identified with them and knew what what they were going through and of course they're having A lot of people postpartum have a challenging time with their bodies because it had changed so much when they were pregnant that afterwards your body is just so different and unrecognizable. Sometimes And muscles don't work the same way that they used to. So Pilates is just a really great tool to reconnect to your body in a really safe and gentle way. Um, And then it just kind of made sense to put it online because again, people weren't able to make it to the classes because they had to be home with their kids. I had the blog already with people that were engaging and liking the content and I thought, well, why don't I bring my classes online? This makes the most sense right now. So I started that in, um, I think it was probably, I started working on it before I was pregnant. And then I ended up being pregnant when I started, um, filming a lot of the videos. So I just decided to do a lot of prenatal videos. And then it just kind of grew from there as, um, I continue to work on it and it continued so to grow So you gave birth a to
0: a baby and a business. At yes, the same time. I did. Easy peasy. Yeah, oh my that's God. That's not insane in the slightest. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was
1: crazy and like my business was like barely hanging on through the first six months of postpartum because like you know we had, there is absolutely oh, no, time, no time no nope, time I didn't anything. get
0: any and to be honest <laughs> I just took a step away and it was a big transition it's very hard working for yourself in this industry because yeah there is oh, no maternity yeah. time or you know yeah. all your clients will just be waiting patiently for you to come back so it's it's a tough business, but I feel like you were ahead of the curve though, since in, in this current state of things, well, granted, I don't know exactly how things are in Canada, but in COVID yeah. world, you yeah. know, everybody really did transition online. So has that been a benefit for you? Have oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's great. Like, yeah, it, it was awesome.
1: it been so helpful and it is, it's actually really just the weirdest thing. I don't know if you believe in like manifestation at all or like universe or some sort of higher power, but mm-hmm. I one night i was like a couple days before covid and i was sitting outside and i remember i don't know, and thinking like okay universe i'm ready for the next step and the next level and i like i'm ready for this next step in my business and like literally like 3 days later covid hit and my business exploded. And I so was it's like, your fault is what
0: yeah. you're saying. Yeah. That you manifested COVID on yes. all of us. So, I guess now you know who to blame. Yeah. I can't, it, no, it I really is. do get what you mean. I don't, I'm not overly religious per se, no. but I do definitely have this feeling of like, sometimes things just happen when you're ready for them. And like, when you put that out yes. there, yeah, it, good vibes happen or, or things happen when, when you are at that point. So yeah. And
1: it's actually, that's another point the month after I released that blog post where I finally shared my fertility journey was the month that I got pregnant and like, oh, wow. that's I think it was just so cathartic for me. Hold it. Like being able to release a lot of that tension and the stress that I've been holding and finally again, surrender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when things worked for me. And I know that's not going to be everybody's story because I know Trying to relax and let go and like surrender is like honestly the hardest well, and thing it's you can the ever most do
0: obnoxious thing in the world when yes. you're trying to get pregnant and people are like if you just relax it'll happen and you're like yes. oh my god i'm gonna punch the next person that says that but yes. you know i do there is something in that in that surrendering and yeah letting go of control and i'll also say it's great practice for actually being a parent because you yes. realize how little control yes. you have over these <laughs> tiny human beings so yes. i guess maybe there's a benefit to going through this journey and learning that early
1: Oh God, yeah, I definitely think like I'm a much better mother because of what I went through like I'm so like I know I would have been grateful to be a parent before if I didn't have issues getting pregnant But I am so grateful like I just like some days I just look at her and I'm like, how did I get so lucky that this is my life? Like I literally got everything I could have ever asked for and, like, <laughs> It just doesn't seem real sometimes so I, yeah, I definitely think that going through hardship is, there is, it sucks. It sucks a lot when you're in it, but I feel like there's always a lesson on the other side and always, and it's always an opportunity to grow.
0: Yeah. So well said. There there was a quote you recently posted on your Instagram that I think had to do with kind of your business and your role as a motherhood. And you said Mm -hmm. the greatest tragedy of a child is the unlived life of a parent. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on what that quote meant for you?
1: Yeah, actually, I read the quote in, um, I think it was Untamed by Glennon Doyle. If you haven't read that book, I highly recommend <laughs> it. It's on
0: my bookshelf. Yes. It's next on my to-read list, so I can't wait. Nice.
1: Yeah. yeah, so she had that quote in her book, and I absolutely like devoured that book. It was so good, and it was everything my soul needed to hear. Um, so I I love that quote because it's, it is so true, and everything about Glennon's book is just talking about how you're doing a big disservice to your kids by being a martyr or by just giving up everything for your child and um, not, I guess not working on yourself or fulfilling your dreams or your purpose in life because now you're focusing on raising your kids, which is important. And I'm all for making sure that they have a supportive environment and that they're given attention and all that stuff. But I think, the minute that you decide that you're no like what you want to focus on is no longer important or relevant is the minute that those kids, your children will see that and then they end up modeling that behavior too, as they start to grow up. So a big point in her book was that like your kids are going to think that to become a mother means they have to give up on themselves and that their life is like their dreams and their goals aren't important anymore. And that being a good mother means that you have to put all of your attention and focus on your kids and choose them before you, which in some situations I'm sure is true. But I think, I think you need to still focus on yourself and show them that they can still pursue their dreams and their goals and have a family and that it's possible to do both. And, it's a hard line to walk because we have been told that by society and you're probably going to get a lot of backlash. If you tell somebody right like even our parents generation right now that you're going to do this instead of this for your child, or you're going to work on yourself instead of working on your child. And there's still this sort of negative emotion or connotation with that. But really, you're modeling the behavior. So if you want, if you can tell your child, they can do anything and they can be whoever they want and then you don't do it yourself. It's just, it's hypocritical essentially. So I think it's just important that we kind of challenge a lot of those old beliefs of what it means to be a good mother, because before mothers were their main job was to look after children, which is totally fine. Like, and especially if you're a stay at home mom and that's what you'd love to do. Like, there's nothing against that. But I think if you do have outside desires, I don't think you should feel guilty or shameful to go after them because I think, well, one, the world needs you and your unique gifts, but two, your kids will see that behavior and then they'll model that behavior.
0: Well, I think that's so important in that you know yes there are certain things day to day of course you have to do for your child like yes you may not feel like doing in the moment but yeah my my child needs a diaper change I can tell you I pretty much never feel like doing it but I'm always going to do it's a part of life but you can always take a a step back and look at the overall picture and say Mm -hmm. I need to find ways to fill my cup up because I need I am a self I am a person I'm not just this person's caretaker you know I'm still a human being both before and after I have this kid and there's no one way for that to look whether you're a working mom whether you want to pursue you know career passions or whether you're a stay-at-home mom then you have personal (laughs) passions and personal fulfillment you know there's no one way for that to look but yeah, as you said, it's just so important to still find ways to fulfill your soul and your and your needs um, that, that are outside of your child. And that's not selfish. And I know, definitely agree that society can kind of view it like that. Mm. And it's hard to voice that without sounding, you know, yeah,
1: selfish, negative.
0: But, yeah. yeah, yeah, like you're being <laughs> selfish. Um, but it's, it's so important.
1: I do feel too, that if you are happier, you'll be a better parent. So if oh, you're if you're constantly doing things that might cause you to resent your children or your family or your spouse, because you're not able to focus on yourself, then that is going to show up in different ways when you parent. So being able to focus on you and do the things that you love and enjoy will make you a happier, more fulfilled person, which will make you a happier, more fulfilled parent too. So,
0: Absolutely. So what has been one of the most difficult parts of motherhood for you so far? Oh, man. (laughs) Like, to just be honest on here, it's good and it's bad. There's hardships and, you know, the best of the best.
1: Yeah. The most challenging, I would say, is balancing it with my business because especially when COVID hit, because the daycare's were closed. So we had no childcare. My husband works in healthcare, so he was gone. And then my business exploded at the same time.
0: And oh, it was... Talk about the perfect storm. Jeez. Yeah. And I was
1: having a really hard time. And at, like at this age, Rachel just needs constant attention. Like there's no downtime unless she's sleeping. And um, I think me, I felt a lot of guilt around that time because I felt like I couldn't give my business enough attention at this point. And then I also felt like I couldn't give her the attention that she needed. Like I couldn't give her a hundred percent attention because I was always busy doing something else. Um, and that was really hard. And it was also really hard on our marriage too, at that point because I was resentful to my husband because he was able to leave the house. And he was leaving us alone
0: all day together. Oh, totally. Those are very normal feelings. And even if you understand it from a, you know, like he's going to do the job because we need him to go do his job. It doesn't mean those emotions aren't valid, you know, and and very strong. So it's very hard to juggle the two.
1: Yeah. So that was, I think, and it still is to this day. But now that things have lightened up a little bit here, I'm able to have my parents and in-laws watch Rachel um, for a few days a week and that's been like incredibly helpful and it just showed me like how important it is to make sure I have time that's specifically set aside for her so that I can focus on her and not be distracted because that is one thing that just bothers me so much and that's why it was so hard was I hate being on my phone when she's around or I hate doing work while she's around because like, sometimes it's inevitable, like, because we're all working from both right now, but yeah. I really want, like, I want her to see a, a hardworking mom, but I also want her to not see that, like, we have to be on my phone all the time, and I just am trying not to to show that or model well, when that you're behavior. You're pulled in so
0: many different directions. Yes. You you just feel like you're doing a cruddy job at everything. Yes, that's exactly and that's how that's I a felt. really bad feeling <laughs> when you're like, great, I'm being a terrible, you know, boss, I'm being a terrible yes. business owner, and I'm <laughs> being a terrible mom and wife. Oh, I'm just feeling awesome. So Yeah. yeah, I definitely think this time has been trying in that way for for everybody. And for a while, we all have to do what we have to do to survive. But then it's good to re-examine what we are doing and get back Mm -hmm. into behaviors that just we feel better about. So yeah,
1: Yeah, it was just, um, it was just, yeah, really challenging time. And it's, it still is a challenging time regardless, I think if you're working from home. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think just having your priorities set out and realizing like, okay, my children come before work and they, they have to like, well, For me, they have to because that. that, those are my priorities is that my, my children are before my work. So just being able to know that and understand it and say like the work will always be there. People are a little bit more understanding these days. So just taking that pressure off yourself to say like, I have to do this right now. I have to answer this email right now. Like you don't, you can take a step back and if your child needs you, you can be there for them. Um, and then when they're not there and you have someone to help you with your childcare, then you can focus back on on your work. And yeah, it's like, I don't think that's the right answer for everybody. But for me, that's what I've had to focus on right now.
0: Absolutely. So what's, what's the best part about being Rachel's mom? What's something that's been, oh. you know, just beautiful of becoming a mom?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that the best part about being her mom is just being able to, like, I love doing like firsts with her. Like it's so fun getting her to show her new things and things like that. But I love just her being able to feel safe with me and that I'm the person she wants to come to when something, I don't know, for everything, when things are good and when things are bad and, I don't think I've necessarily had, I guess I had that with my dog. He's like that, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's on a different level, I guess, because, because babies are so affectionate and it's, it's just nice being that person, being the person Mm. to that little person and just being there for them
0: and I don't know. That bond is so special.
1: Yeah. 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 I'd say that would be it.
0: Yeah. If you had one piece of advice to give um, an expecting or new mom, what would it be? Hmm.
1: I would say take... So before you have the baby, be selfish and take as much time for yourself and do things that you want to (laughs) do because once you have the baby, it's really hard to do those. And you will find time to do them, but just... I would say like soak up all of you time and you and your husband or your partner time. And then after the baby is born, like do not feel bad to sleep. Um, when the baby is sleeping or whenever you get a chance to if someone else is there because for the first little while I was like very hard on myself. And I said, no, during nap time, I have to do work for my business. I have to clean the house and I have to prep all this food and stuff. And, isn't that, that is not important like you have to sleep like just sleep mm-hmm. and don't feel bad about it and I that is what I would say is just do not um devalue your sleep or underrate the sleep because it's so important for your mental health like if yeah, anything's no to gonna super mom yeah
0: yeah exactly like
1: if you can get some sleep then you will be set for the like it's like after having a baby you know this like mm-hmm are crazy and it's totally you just need crazy. that i mean
0: you <laughs> yes. need to sleep to be yeah. able to do the rest like yeah. it's just a, it's not a i feel like sometimes we treat that sleep in the early days as like it's optional and sleep is not optional yeah. it is a no. necessity even if it doesn't happen in the exact way you know we would like it to it's 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 got to be done and it will make you a, a better and a happier mom and wife and human being so
1: mm-hmm. and feel free to take help from people because they'll offer it And just take them up on it, like, Mm -hmm. so you can, so you can get some sleep.
0: It's hard for me to do, but I'm going I'm to, if I do it again, I'm going to do it better. So, yeah. <laughs> live and learn. So, well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been amazing to get to know about, more about you and your family and your journey and your business. So where can our listeners uh, find and learn more about you? Oh, well, thank
1: you so much for having me on. Thank you for this opportunity um, to connect to your, with your listeners and people can find me a couple places. I'm usually on Instagram more often than not. I think
0: everybody is these days. That's at least the most popular social media platform. So you
1: can follow me there and it's just at the healthy sweet potato. And then my Pilates business is, um, on Instagram too. It's at Pilates on demand underscore CA, or you can just go to our website. If you're interested, everyone gets a two week free trial and it's just Pilates on
0: Well, thank you so much. I will link to all of those in our show notes. So, you guys really definitely need to go check her out. Um, Check out both of her pages. Such helpful information and insight. And yeah, she's just a wonderful influence to be around. So, thank you again for joining us. And thank you guys for listening. And please be sure to head over to iTunes and shoot us a rating and review if you have just a second. We really appreciate it. And uh, next week, Mackenzie and I are going to chat about our own body image journey. So a lot of um, our personal experiences of similar to Jess and what we went through trying to conceive pregnancy and postpartum and kind of where we are today. So it's something I don't know a single person that kind of can't relate to on some level. So we appreciate Jess being so open with us today and we look forward to chatting with y'all soon. So thank you and talk to you soon. Bye bye. Hmm.